I believe if you're looking to monetize your practice and make as much money as you absolutely can do, is you absolutely do a great job for them. To make it rain, follow the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated, and practice great law. Invest in the case, work the case up, really go the extra mile. You'll not only make more money, but you'll make more friends and you'll make more money and make bigger business. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest for a second time on PIM. His ideas remain as innovative today as when he broke the marketing mold in 1978. The first to produce and market television advertising to the legal community, his tireless work backed by old school ethics has earned him the title of the grandfather of legal advertising. Harlan Schillinger has worked with over 140 firms, understands the intricacies of legal advertising and is obsessed with intake. He co-developed Lead Docket and is now a private consultant who takes on a very limited number of firms to share his vision. But today you get direct access to the wisdom he's created over the years. He explains why crafting a winning message begins with understanding who you are. We explore new ways to make the most successful advertising channels work for your firm. This episode is jam-packed. But before we dive into Harlan's amazing insights, I wanted to get his take on something he and I have been talking a lot about lately. We've been discussing the duty of a lawyer, both in practice and in business. And I wanted to start today's interview with the attorney's oath for Minnesota, which goes like this. You do swear that you will support the Constitution of the United States and that of the state of Minnesota, and will conduct yourself as an attorney and counselor of law in an upright and courteous manner to the best of your learning and ability with all good fidelity as well to the court as to the client, that you will use no falsehood or deceit, nor delay any person's cause for lucre or malice, so help you God. This is what it means to Harlan Schillinger. Well, the first thing that it means to me is, boy, some of the advertising that goes on is certainly not incongruent with what you just read. They exaggerate. Chris, Going back, you know, to our original conversation, you know, we talked about, well, you know, where is legal advertising? Where's the practice of law? And I've always felt that you have a fiduciary duty, of course, to your client. I mean, there's no question about it. So then why is 90% or so, and that's my estimation, a minimum of 90%, you know, the lawyers out there, you know, why do they, I guess they use the word suck, you know, why do they do what they do? which means why don't they do what they should do you know, with the client? I think that we're in a real big money grab. I think that there's so many people jumping into legal advertising, desperately trying to get that case. Everybody wants that case. You're monetized. You know, you're only a number, and you're treated as a number in people's law firm. You know, I go back to the oath of office because it is the very first contract that you sign when you become a lawyer in whatever state that you're in. They're all pretty similar. You know, you're gonna act in your best ability, you're gonna represent your clients, you're gonna be vigorous, you know, all of that. But I fall back to, well, what's really going on? You know, how are people really being treated? And in turn, how do you treat people differently 
or what give them what they deserve and make that part of your culture and part of what your unique selling strategy is. You know, a doctor and attorney, they're supposed to help the individual. But on one end, at least from my perception, I could be wrong. It's this perception of a doctor being friendly and kind and really, really being there to help you. And then there's this negative connotation, this negative perception for the attorney that's just looking for the money. Do you think that it just started piling in after that 1977, you know, decision to allow advertising and it and it's the simple message on a billboard. Where do you think that that pivot started to occur? Well, first of all, in 1977, when the Supreme Court passed the uh, the decision, the Bates decision, it was about giving access to the courtroom, letting people understand that they have options, and allowing people easier access to knowing who they're dealing with or finding a lawyer. That, in essence, I paraphrase it, of course, is the essence of the decision. And so what happened in 1977, 78, 79, 79, people started to go on television. As you know, that I was the first person to produce television commercials, you know, for the industry. And we fanned out, my partners and I, and we signed up like 58 clients in 1979, 1980. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was like turning the key and the floodgates opened. You couldn't get away from bombardment of telephone calls. With that, most lawyers shunned the advertisers because it was not professional, it was this. But as years came back, it came around, it came out to be a very jealous statement. You know, well, I don't want them to do it. Well, why don't you want them to do it? Well, it's unprofessional. Well, I'm not going to do it, so why should they do it? We can go down that, that rabbit hole if we want, but let's choose the other hole. It's become such a business. Unfortunately, there's so much opportunity. I don't know of another industry that you have no ceiling on how much you can actually earn. And quite frankly, you don't really have to be a good lawyer to earn a lot of money. That's the sad part. The reality is that it is a business and it has to be treated like a business. But that doesn't mean that you treat your clients as a number, as a commodity, as a, another tool or a widget or however you want to phrase it. And so that whole dichotomy of, of balance and how do you how do you balance that professionalism with your business? Now, I remember when we started National Trial Lawyers, uh, I guess it's about 14 years ago, Howard Nations, John Romano, myself, and Keith Givens were at Keith Givens' house, and we said, there's nobody really addressing the business of law. And so we decided at that point to start a, a group called National Trial Lawyers, which focuses on the business of law. So it is a balance, but I firmly believe and the court system firmly believes that you have to have compassion and you have to have professionalism. And quite frankly, I'll go back to the oath that you just read. What does that say? It says a lot of things. It says you're going to work your tail off, I'm paraphrasing. You're going to represent your client. You're not going to sell them short. You're not going to not return their phone calls. You're not going to not treat them like you know human beings. It's not a commodity. That's what that paragraph says. I have never met a lawyer in my life that has read that oath of office or applied it to their practice or acknowledged it after they took it. Keep that in mind. Now, that's happened also the Hippocratic Oath you know, for doctors and, and what have you. If you just did what that paragraph says, that contract that you sign, you're under contract to do, you'll do just fine. So why can't you incorporate all of those things you know, into the culture of your firm? 
I think many of the attorneys that I work with want to do a good job. They, they want to provide a good client experience, at least most of them outwardly to me. I think also it's, it's like the, you know, they need reviews. They need reviews. It helps them for their, you know, their, their Google Maps, their local service ads, their conversions because consumer behavior shifted. Do you think that maybe that's had an impact for maybe focusing and shifting from the customer point of view, the widget, more to the client? Do you think that's had an impact? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all ha- has an impact. But my perception of your business is you handpick your clients. You know, you deal with what you want to deal with is the cream of the crop. Your clientele are the extreme that want to go about everything in a compulsive way which means they want to service their clients. They understand intake. And uh, although they come up short, they come up a lot less short than most. So in general terms, unfortunately, money has creeped into everything. It's a money grab. You know, you have, uh, you know, have lawyers that get a taste of advertising and, and they have a taste of the money. And it could be overwhelming. And they just come up shy on the, uh, on the compassion side and the, and the work ethic side. Where do you see from the client perspective where attorneys could take this and maybe do some introspection, say, you know what, Harlan's right. I need to take a deep look at this. Where does it start? Where do you start that? Well, let's, let's take a look at the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the business sure. side of it. Let's, let's talk about making money in the, in, in, the, in the practice of law because that's what you and I do for our clients. We show them how to make money. What we started this conversation off with is, is talking about different ways to make money. To back up, I don't believe that I've come across a practice that has, a, especially an advertising practice, that has grown uh, exponentially. Now, that you grow to a certain point. Hypothetically, if Lawyer X in Miami is signing up 200 cases a month, he's not necessarily signing up 201 cases, although they're throwing more money at it. So, Growth not isn't necessarily moving into from Miami until into you know Tampa. It's your turnaround on dollars, establishing yourself, getting paid, seeing your investment is five to seven years. Okay, so that's a long-term investment, and that's growth, I guess. But if you wanted to grow your practice, you got to sit back and you say, okay, how am I going to grow my practice? Am I going to say something that the other guy doesn't say, or am I going to throw more money at it? What's the logical way to make money at this business? Well, number one, I feel very strongly about, well, getting better cases. You know, if you just simply say, well, I would do serious injury, that's not going to get you cases. What's going to get you more cases, excuse me, more higher value cases is credibility. Credibility comes in many, many ways. Credibility comes in doing what you're saying you're going to do, being an expert in what you're doing, being really specializes in hypothetically truck cases. Every lawyer in the country wants a trucking case, but there really are, what, 50 or 60 certified truck lawyers, and most of those cases go to them. And if a lawyer that's working on soft tissue and, and auto and, and has a kind of a churn and burn practice takes a trucking case, then I don't have the expertise to build that case to a multi-million dollar case where it should be. The second thing is the value. You have the value of the case. You know, there, there's the, the quote-unquote pre-lit versus the you know, the litigating firm. And immediately when you, when you say trucking, I think of an individual like David Craig, amazing truck accident attorney. You and I both know David and he goes about advertising differently. Let's talk about this. Cause I think he's the perfect example in a, 
getting better cases, and then B, maximizing the value. David is an interesting cat. Uh, you know, he's a friend and a client. When I met David, David was just coming off of television. He was changing his practice to exclusively going after trucking cases. Well, by going after trucking cases, he does get, you know, 20 or 30 other cases a month that his partners handle. But the way David went about this was in a very, very credible way. He didn't just stand on top of a truck and said, you know, I want your truck case. My analogy is to talk to the public the way you would a jury. And so when David advertises and he markets, and it's primarily through social, he's presenting his case to the public and showing them how to, you know, what you really have to have to understand. He's really opening the kimono and, you know, talking about what most lawyers don't talk about. You know, he's really telling everybody, you know, what to do. You know, fortunately, other lawyers don't listen because that leaves much more for the people that are going after the business, you know, in a different way. Um, bottom line is, is that is that educating the, the public, being an expert and delivering that message and making it client centric is an excellent way to to attract business, a targeted business and quality business. A lot of times, at least outwardly, what I see the biggest firms, I typically see these these big advertising firms that are going after tons of practice areas. Outwardly, they don't appear to have the deep expertise in any one topic, but it seems like that they're getting the volume of cases. Are they getting the high quality cases, those cases with a lot of value, those top five percenters? No, with a yes at the end, because if you advertise enough, you're going to get something. You know, it's that fishing net. You know, you're going to pull in a couple of big fish. There's no question about it. But in, in advertising, Chris, you get what you ask for. And if you're out there and, you know, if you're advertising, you know, in a rec, get a check, which for certain markets, I think, depending on what you want, is a, is a great slogan. But if you're in a wrongful death case and you're in a trucking case or you're, you know, have a, have a complex litigation, you're not looking for a check. You're looking for a lot more than that. You're looking for, you know, a lawyer that's going to really bring you back to the quality of life or save your family from the quality of life. And the money will come. And I just fall back to you getting what you ask. You really get what you ask for. And you have to be very, very careful. So getting back to David Craig, if you go to his social media and you go to his, his web and everything that he does, he is so ultra focused on what it takes to build a complex case. And the way he lays it out to people in such a simple way, again, talking to the public the way you would a jury, he attracts that kind of business. There are two ways to go about messaging. One is to have broad generic statements that often use humor and appear to more people. This strategy casts a wide net and you're more likely to see a bigger following, but probably catch smaller fish. The other way, become an expert in one category. The pool of potential cases may get smaller, but by dropping the line of targeted messaging, you're more likely to snag a whopper of a fish that can sustain your firm and your goals for a long period of time. One strategy is not necessarily better than the other. Harlan explains how to decide which is right for your firm. Well, first of all, I believe you have to know who you are. I have to know exactly who my client is. I have to know what their practices is about, what their level of expertise is. I got to know everything about their practice because that's who you're selling. So at that point, you have two choices. You can sell the fantasy of, you know, this 
so-called lawyer going to court, working up every case, you know, for, for trial and what have you. Or you can, you know, find that lawyer and, and travel through that, you know, through that scenario from a, from a lawyer that absolutely understands, you know, how to prepare a case. But you got to sell what you have. And the most important thing is to be truthful about what you're selling. But it all starts with knowing exactly who you are and what you want and, and, and how do you want to be perceived. How you want to be perceived is easy. You know, this whole social media thing, this whole advertising thing. I mean, you could be anything, anytime. I mean, I identify as a phenomenal trial lawyer. <laughs> okay, that doesn't mean I'm a phenomenal trial lawyer. The point I'm making is, is that you got to be who you are. And then you have to know how to ask for that. And those are the two elements that I think you really absolutely need to focus on. But if you're looking for better cases, and every lawyer wants a better case, they want the wrongful death case, they want the big case, there's two options. You can either live it and breathe, that's how you practice your law and you deserve that case, or you can tout that you would do those things and you would be that kind of lawyer, but you're really not. 90% of the lawyers that are out there particularly 90% of the lawyers that are marketing in a big, big way. There are exceptions, and I have dear friends that have high-volume practices that practice great law, really don't practice great law. You become a commodity. Hmm. You become a number that you move through that system. And what that means is, are they really spending the money to invest in the case, the lawyer's money, not the client's money because it's contingency? Are they doing every single thing possible to have the outcome that the client deserves. And that's a huge investment, money-wise and time-wise. That's the game changer right there. You can move these cases along and get paid, or you can do one hell of a job for every one of your clients. And I guarantee you, you'll make more money and the client will be far more satisfied. Where, do, where does that play into quantities become qualities and, and experience and having to get the reps in? Do you take that authentic approach and say, look, I'm a young attorney and I haven't tried very many cases, but guess what? I'm going to give you 110% my complete focus. Is that the message, that, that the authentic message that you start with? You know, because everyone has to start somewhere. That brain surgeon has his first brain surgery. Well, he better not screw up his first brain surgery. <laughs> And, and put every bit of effort into, his, into that first brain surgery. And the effort is not only in the, in the surgery, but it's in dealing with the patient. Because the patient is going to make a determination on how, the, how they experienced the relationship. And so I would advise young lawyers to absolutely pick and choose how they want to be perceived. What's your legacy? How do you want to practice law? I would say that almost everybody thinks this, but they don't say it, well, I want to make money at it. I'm in this for the money. I'm in this for business. Well, okay, I, I, I can accept that. But you did take a, an oath that you would do certain things to earn that, mm -hmm. that respect and that reputation. And I believe you can absolutely do both. And in fact, Chris, I think it's your best play right now. You know, how people feel about you and how people feel about what they experience with you is everything. Most lawyers say, well, I, they'll remember I got them settlement. Well, guess what? They don't. Because the feeling on how you were treated will far outlast the money. I, I, that resonates for me. I wasn't, uh, I made an idiot mistake when I was in college. I, I did a prank and got in trouble for pulling a fire alarm. And you know what? I don't remember the outcome really. I remember my experience with the attorney. I didn't have a good experience. I was kept in the dark. I didn't know what was going on. 
And that's what I think. Not, but at the end result was there, right? My case was, you know, I got that expunged and that idiot mistake is over. But I remember the experience I had working with the attorney and I thought, you know what? I would never work with that attorney again. Well, you can you can multiply that by, you know, a million times. And that's the majority of people. But we're in an interesting part of society right now. Everybody is acknowledging. I believe everybody is saying, well, you know, customer service is not what it was. And so it's all about how you feel. When you feel bad, you express it. When you feel good, you really express it. So pick and choose how you want to be perceived. But if you want to understand the marketing aspect, believe me, Rich Carlton has a, a program in place and Rich Carlton has a feeling and it's, it's about marketing. And when you go into a Rich Carlton you know you're in a Ritz-Carlton. When you go into a, you know, a Michael DeMeo's practice, you know you're in, in a Ritz-Carlton type of a practice just because of the way you're being treated, the way you, know, the way you feel. My, my dad always said, and I say this almost in every speech I make, nobody cares how much money you've made in life. When you die, you're going to be judged by how you treated people. That's a really powerful opportunity. I believe if you're looking to monetize your practice, and make as much money as you absolutely can do is no, and there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're treating your clients well, is you absolutely do a great job for them. Doing a great job for them is treating people the way you want to be treated, number one, and practicing great law. Invest in the case, work the case up, and really go the extra mile. You'll not only make more money, but you'll make more friends, and you'll make more money and make bigger business. And I believe in this day and age, today, that's a solid approach. And then you can spend more money on advertising. And when that head hits the pillow, you can sleep like a baby too, right? Well, knowing that you gave it your all. And it's interesting, I just read Dan Kennedy's book on, on profit maximization. And number one was what you talked about, getting better cases, better leads through marketing. And the, the second was client service, client experience, and how that can impact your business. I want to switch back to just messaging and, and that being authentic just for a moment. One that we've recently looked at, and, and I don't know these attorneys, I've seen them on TikTok, uh, the husband and wife law team, Mark and Alexis Breyer, they, their messaging, geez, want to talk about authenticity. They, it just comes across so natural. Uh, it makes them memorable. It makes them stand out. It makes them likable. I absolutely love what they're doing. I see them all the time here on, on uh, television, uh, you know, on social here in, in Arizona. I know Mark Breyer for many, many years. And actually, I was the first person to put Mark Breyer on with my old agency many, many years ago. And all of a sudden, I caught him on television. And he's walking through the hall of his office, and he's mumbling, you know, some things. And I was listening to what he was saying. He was saying exactly what I was thinking. So, so I investigated, I got a hold of Mark, I spoke to his agency, I tried to figure out what, how this all came about. And the truth of it is it came about by accident. The production crew, and this is what they told me, they were holding a cell phone when he walked out of an office practicing his lines, but he was making up his own lines. And it said, you know, do you ever, uh, you know, you, you get a summons, uh, you called for court, you sit in the jury box and you see the two lawyers, which one is prepared? Which one would you want to represent you? Uh, he gets into all of these particulars, all of these scenarios, you know, about what the victim is really going through in the most honest way. And he, he just lays it out 
as they're walking, you know, from the courthouse or they're walking from their office. The reason it's so natural is because it's completely unscripted and it's exactly what we should be hearing. It's exactly what a lawyer should be saying to you. You know, he talks about clients selling their lawyers selling their clients short. And it, it just it struck me so hard that this young man is just saying it exactly the way he needs to say it in a positive way, actually. He's not putting other people down. His commercials are that good. But he's just saying it the way it is. And, and he's not saying it. And nothing he says is about him. Everything he says is about the client. So he's very client-centric. People like will have a natural rapport component, right? They'll, they'll feel comfortable with them and want to use them. And I think that's so powerful with, with the messaging is being your authentic self. I think you are more credible when you're not faking it. People can see through individuals that are being fake. Not always, but, the, but you can tell if someone's being fake. I mean, people say that all the time. Look, Chris. It would be impossible for you to move me away from talking to the public the way I would a jury, uh, the way you would a jury. It would, you could not move me from that because when you sit in the witness box and when you're a lawyer talking to the jury, you're leaning over that, that railing and you're looking them square in the face, you can't lie to the jury. The jury is going to see right through you. The jury is the public. And if you understand that mentality and you understand that authenticity, you'll come across in that manner. But lawyers don't do that. What most lawyers do, almost all lawyers do, they, first of all, they copy what the other guy does. <laughs> you know, he can do it, I can do it. You know, I'm going to mimic him. And it's all about them and not so much the client. The second thing is a lot of lawyers don't go to court. And so how can they carry, you know, that bravado, bravado to, you know, to a camera if they've never really said it to a jury? Say our audience has, has looked internally. They, they have a message that they've thought about. They, they know how to be credible, and they've dialed into the, their message, right? It can adjust. You can modify it in the future. The next step is, is where's the client? In the past, TV was a behemoth. It is still very powerful. What are some of the channels that you see PI attorneys being most successful utilizing? Well, obviously, it's absolutely imperative to, ha to be buttoned up digitally. The basis of buttoning up digitally is having a solid website, you know, that was built with best practices, that was built, you know, with uh, Mr. Google certainly in mind, and feeding that website original, pertinent content. The reason I say that so strongly is that if you face, if you look at the last major algorithm that Google had, and you this is your business, you know it more than I do, you've, you've taught me more than I can ever teach you, is we want pertinent content. Well, what does that mean? That means you're getting away from generic content. You're getting, you're getting to content that means something to you, Chris. And, you know, you want to humanize yourself. And so ground zero is, is your website. There's no question about it. And from there, you've got to have a good SEO strategy. Doing SEO work and just saying I do SEO work is one thing. Having a specific strategy and going after your digital base is important. And what does that mean? And, you know, I've learned a lot of this from you. It means being very relevant, being very relevant and targeted and niched in your content. It's making sure that you, you have all of your Google My Business pages, your LSAs. Everything is absolutely best practices with Google. And most importantly, you have to work it. You have to work it constantly, which means you have to be involved with your agency, knowing what they're doing and giving them the tools 
and pushing them to be that targeted on SEO. People, I mean, I certainly value SEO over PPC because PPC, you know, is, is a tactic, but it's SEO is a solid approach. I know very few agencies that really understand SEO. That let me let me rephrase that. They understand SEO, but they're trying to rank for everything. They're trying to rank for the come to the table and say, "Look, I got you." You know, from page eleven to page seven on four hundred different words. Well, the truth of it is, you think you're going to get business from four hundred different words, or you're going to get business from six or twelve. And so having a strategy that focuses on what is going to give you business and what people are resonating with is paramount. And having the guts to come to a, to a client and saying, listen, we're not going to maximize 400 words and make me look good. If I maximize three words, six words, 12 words, this is what's turning the numbers. This is what people are dialing into. This is what people are searching and putting my effort into quality, not quantity. I think that's the solid strategy. Now, I'm brushing over a lot of this, but that is a very important strategy. It is a quality game. In the past, you could write a 500-word article because Google didn't have that article or that topic covered in their inventory. That's not the case today. Most topics have been covered, so now they're going to look at the quality and making sure you answer consumer intent. The other thing that I just want to highlight, and I am a bit biased because I do have an SEO agency, and I'm cognizant of that. Uh, but I'm also cognizant of what works and what I see helps my clients. We talk a lot about social media and there is a place for social media, but Google and YouTube have more website traffic than the next 48 websites combined. Google gets 85 billion monthly users. YouTube's 33 billion. Facebook, which is the next highest, is 17 billion. And then it significantly drops off. So when you want to talk about channels, you need to advertise where your consumer congregates. They congregate on Google. It's in the data. So I know things have changed and new shiny objects come around and, and there's definitely a place for everything. It all works together. But I just kind of want to relay that data. That's, that's a ton of users. It's a ton of opportunity. Well, something about advertising and my, my original uh, mentor, a gentleman named Bill Meiskens, taught me a lot. And, uh, one of three things that he taught me is figure out what people how, what people are, are absorbing and give them more of it. And so if I want to, you know, if I want to find somebody, I got to go with where they, where they are. Uh, some people say it's TikTok. Some people say it's Google. I mean, there's no question it's Google and YouTube because the two biggest search engines. And I think that social media is where people are as well. But I wouldn't put all my, my, ba my eggs in one, in one basket. But again, you use the word quality. You've got to use where people are. You know, you got to find out where you where you where the fish is, and you got to go put on the waders, and you got to get in. But finding finding where they're biting is super duper important, and that takes research. It takes looking at the numbers. I have found there's so many people. Everybody has an opinion on in your in your field. I mean, what do you need to get into into your business? A laptop. That's it. Seriously, that's it. You mobile device, maybe just a phone. <laughs> That's right. And everybody has their opinion as to, as to what works and what doesn't work. Me, I don't make any decision without the numbers because the numbers will tell everything. Just as you rattled off the numbers from Google, just as you rattled off the numbers from Facebook. You know, I looked at this. Google has 40 times the amount of monthly visitors their website compared to TikTok. 40 times. I know TikTok's new. It, it, it's, it's emerging, 
And it's good. I, I, it's wherever consumers congregate is an opportunity to advertise. Look, if the metaverse comes around and everyone starts to go into the metaverse, then we're going to advertise there. There's an opportunity to advertise. You know, where does TV fit in? Where, you know, let's talk a little bit about OTT too. If you could, what's, what's the 80-20 masterclass, just briefly, on TV, doing TV right? More people are watching the tube than ever before in the history of television. There is absolutely no question there's more content, there's more opportunities. So if we're looking at the tube, let's start with that. Then it comes down to what are we watching on the tube? You know, are we watching daytime? Are we watching network? Are we watching OTT? Are we watching YouTube? And then, you know, it comes down to where is my audience? You know, there's a lot of conversation about, uh, first of all, there's no question, television is still king. If you want to get your message out, you want to brand yourself, you want to be that brand, and you want that message to get across, there's no question you're not going to do it in any other medium as well as you are with television. Maybe a little radio, but it's still, you can't leave it. And so then the question is, where do I spend my money? Do I, how much of it goes on network? How much of it goes on OTT, uh, over-the-top television? That's Hulu and 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 your streaming devices and such. And you got to break it down based on, you know, where you think your audience is. You know, I love it. Uh, I pushed away from OTT for a long time because I didn't feel that I was dealing with people that really understood it and understood how to buy it and understood how to get us in front of the people that we really wanted to be in front of. And maybe that's wrong, but I may, waited for the industry to catch up and mature, and mature a bit. You know, we've come to the point where there isn't a market in the country I'm sure somebody will say I'm wrong, but that a third of the market isn't watching streaming, that isn't watching alternate television. And so if you're in uh, you're in Muncie, Indiana right now, or in the bigger market, let's say Indianapolis, if a third of everybody out there in Indianapolis are watching alternate television or streaming or Hulu or what have you, how can you say, I can't reach them or we, we shouldn't play in that, that pond? I'm your tail end of the millennial who doesn't have cable. Most of us don't, but that doesn't mean I don't watch TV. I watch content across multiple platforms like Hulu, YouTube, Amazon, Disney Plus. This new consumption pattern means that we have to shift how we think about saturation for video marketing. And you could saturate a market with a handful of channels and a few choice hours. With streaming, it's not economically viable to purchase big blocks of time across multiple streaming platforms. Luckily, this modern problem comes with a modern solution to master OTT, all you need to do is follow the data. I hooked up with a uh, with a firm that I felt really and truly understood what I wanted to do with uh, with advertising for Camp Lejeune cases, and they really understood. The, the beautiful part about OTT is is that you can really niche down. You could really find your audience. You can you you find your audience in a very different way because basically you're tracking your audience. You're discovering your audience by the way they spend their money, their, their patterns, and what have you. With my client, I brought this uh, resource to. We decided we wanted to, to get into OTT. They were able to find an audience of age. Then they were able to find that audience and not and niche that down to the military service. Now they niched it down even further to not only military service, they were in this area at this particular time. Now let's take it one step further. They had one of the symptoms of the water contamination in Camp Lejeune. Now I'm dealing with a fairly qualified prospect there. 
I got a pretty good shot. You know, I got the age, I got the military service, I, I got the disease, and I got their IP address. I guess I don't have to tell you how successful niching down and that approach is, but I really only found one person that understood what I was really trying to say. The way we are approaching things right now is, is so much more sophisticated. OTT is a digital buy. It's a digital retargeting. You know, I can retarget somebody that saw my commercial on Yellowstone. It's, it's a very different buy, which I find very refreshing. You know, quite frankly, you know, it's kind of interesting. I remember introducing the internet to my clients in 1996, 97, and the majority of people in that room, almost all of them said, well, we'll get to it. We'll see what happens. And then the following year, well, we'll see a little bit more. If I was able to buy Google stock in 1996 and I put $1,000 down, I'd be a multimillionaire just from that investment. So where we are with television and OTT is, I believe, we're somewhere around 2001 right now. Yeah, I heard uh, Bob Iger was, um, was having debating like what to do because they own, you know, uh, I think a majority stake in Hulu. You know, most people equate Disney to owning just, you know, Disney Plus, but they actually own a majority of Hulu. And it's like, what do we do with this? Is it the right audience? How do we blend it? So I think even these big entities, these big blue chips are still trying to figure that out. They don't know. Well, all of it's new. You know, it's, what, 10 years old, seven years old. You know, at what point do you say, you know, I'm going to be an early adopter and I'm going to find my way. Mm -hmm. You know, people that went onto the internet and started really embracing it in, in the late 90s are certainly 10 times, you know, much further ahead than people that embraced it to, in 2005 or 2003 because it's a learning curve. And it's very hard to convince people sometimes, well, let's jump in. We don't know what we're doing, but we got to be there. Now, I'm not saying we go about it that way, but it does take a lot of work and it's worth it because I don't know anything that I've really accomplished that didn't take a lot of work. But if I was an early adapter, I'm an early adapter on this whole conversation, you know, as far as where is business? You know, you take a market like uh, Las Vegas, you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it, you know, at the 7.30 a.m. break on the Today Show, there are five or six slots and every single one of them is another lawyer. And they're all saying the same thing. I'll do, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, me, I'm, 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 me, me, me. You know, at what point <laughs> does it become useless? Yeah, where, where it's completely saturated. And, and if you're the only one advertising somewhere, you're the automatically the best because you're the only one. So there's something to be said with that. Yeah, but I found out that there's nobody buying the news on Sunday night between the weather and the sports, which is their highest rated time. And there's not a lawyer in that spot. And there's not a lawyer on air that has a true and honest testimonial. If we're covering traditional marketing, we can't leave out billboards. Billboards continue to work very well for law firms. They drive home messaging through repetition. Now you may be thinking that to get repetition, you need to buy every billboard on the road, but it turns out a well-placed billboard can have a massive impact. Harlan explains. Billboards, the most important word in billboards is location. You know, it's like real estate because it is real estate. You know, I don't think it's, it's an important word in your business in SEO, location. You know, where do I, what location do I want? Well, I want to be in the map pack because that's the number best location to be in, hypothetically. 
billboards are, are even more hyper-focused on location. It, location matters and what you say matters. I have a client in Kentucky that has one or two billboards. That one billboard is on one of the busiest highways going into one of the very busiest plants in Kentucky. You know, is that a good location? You got people coming and going every day long in that blue collar and all day long driving in and driving out. And so he chose to plant his, his uh, you know, stake in the ground, you know, on that billboard. I'd say that'd be pretty effective, right? Because you get the reputation of the people going uh, to work and back. It is. It is. And, and he couldn't afford really to buy billboards all over the territory. It just wasn't affordable. And locations were very difficult, but locations are very important. There's, I'll give you a prime example of a, of, of, of a bad choice in billboards. Most people buy billboards because their competitors buy them. So they think they have to be on them. That's what's going on with buses, which are really mobile you know, billboards. You take a, a, you know, how many times has a billboard company or an agency said, well, I got three billboards in a row. And you take a good look at it and you drive by because I'm adamant about having to physically drive by the billboard to see exactly what it looks like and where, how it's positioned in the marketplace. Well, those three billboards are across the street on the left-hand side. So what you're asking the driver to do is lift his eyes, turn his head, look at the billboards, takes his eyes off the road, look at those billboards, you're going against traffic. Now, is that the ideal location for somebody? No, I don't believe so. I say no. But the biggest faux pas that people do you make in billboards is, is number one, the messaging, crowding so much onto a billboard. That's the majority of billboards. You can't read them. And the location. Got it. Got it. And then, you know, just from the you know, you, you mentioned it, so I'll lean into it on the buses, right? It seems like most of the buses probably have a set route. And then I look at a company, I think that's really disrupting. And, and I get nothing for saying this, but I think Carvertize, it's, it's smart. They're using data to analyze where foot traffic is for that respective time. So you send the cars there, right? Where, versus the bus is going to go wherever the bus goes, their route, where there's a little bit of flexibility there. It's the, the car is going to go drive around the Bucks Stadium when there's a game there. It's, uh, I, I think there's some flexibility. And when we talk about targeting, that's what I see the big advantage of, of say, them versus a bus. And then one, one kind of last one here on the, the where's the client, grassroots marketing. So the person that I think of, the firm that I think of that really comes clear to me is uh, Gordon McKernan. So Gordon Gives. They do so much with their community. And I've had other amazing attorneys on this podcast that do excellent work through, through grassroots marketing. How does that fit in? Uh, we had Jacqueline Bertel. They, she does, uh, uh, her firm does amazing uh, Bighorn Law. Where does that fit in in this whole infrastructure of, of marketing and getting your messaging out? Well, it has a lot to do with credibility. And it's, I you know, firmly believe in, in community involvement particularly being involved, not just writing a check. But I believe you have to be able to tell your story and you got to get it out. And you got to get it out and not a, in a braggadocious way. You got to tell, tell the story. And I think that's where social comes in. But I think that's where your, the credibility of your practice comes in. Number one, if you're going to do community involvement, mean it. Don't do it because your competitors are doing it. Well, you have to do it because you think you're going to get business from it. Do it because you, you want to do it. And then telling the story of the event give out 10,000 turkeys hypothetically. You know, there's a story behind it. Who are we giving them to? Why are we giving them to? And how are we, where can you get this whole story? And I think that people come up real short on all of that. We could all tell better stories about what we did and how we did it. I think for two reasons. 
number one, you want to really spread the word, I'm sure. You know, it's good good for business. Uh, but also, I think there's an element of getting your other merchants and getting your other uh, competitors or getting other people to step up too. And I think that's an obligation that we have is to get other people to rise up. Couldn't agree more. And then, and then just have a big impact. It's a uh, force multiplier. Chris, you just spurred on a thought. Do you know, in my opinion, of course, everybody has an opinion. In my opinion, the majority of people that do community service, they do it to look good and they do a half-assed job at it. Well, they do it because their competitors are doing it. If you're going to do it, do it in a most meaningful way and doing it, do it from the heart. Comes back to that authenticity. One thing I wanted to touch on was expansion. Okay. And I've heard John Morgan use the teacup analogy where you're putting money in and it starts to overflow and you're not getting the same amount from it. But then I see individuals like Dan Newland. He's in Orlando. He's got what? 14,000 Google reviews and he's, he's, own in Orlando, and then you have the nationwide firms, and then you got the guys that are expanding practice areas and then dipping into mass torts. Like, I guess there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but how do you approach expansion? How does a firm know when it's time to expand? What's kind of your thought process when it goes into that? Hey, you got the client experience. You're doing an amazing job for the community. You're known. Your advertising is working. What goes into that? Well, first of all, you have to have the money to expand. And so I think that's, a, uh, that's an opportunity to understand, well, can I or can I not afford to do what I need to do and not take it away from your main practice, your, your, main, your main office. Moving into another market is more and more common because if you tap out that market or you reach your point in that market, it's logical to go to the next market. Make sure that you're well-funded. Make sure that you have a strategic plan. Make sure that you understand what opportunities you have on the advertising side of it. I wouldn't go into it and assume because you did well in one market, you'll be doing well in another. I think you have to have the right personnel, you know, in that marketplace because you have to produce good work and you want credibility in that marketplace. So there's a lot of different ways to go into it. Talk about John Morgan, you know, he would normally go into a market and spend a phenomenal amount of money and just leave everybody dry and just, you know, just really oversaturate the market. That's one option. But he's also changed his tune too. What he said to me was, no, I'm going to go into, I'm going into Arizona and I'm having a ground game, modest ground game to establish business, establish my reputation, establish that I can try these cases, pick up cases as co-counsel, and then two years later, unleash the advertising or unleash it in segments. If you carpet bomb a market, you got to be able to afford that and, and carry it for five, eight, six, seven years. And so people are changing how they're going into, into markets and so on. They're going into a lot slower because of cash flow, because it's hard to gain you're not going to make any money five or seven years in a marketplace or see it in your pocket. You have to be able to sustain that. And so there's another way to get into markets. Getting into another market is, is, is important. What people are really leaving on the table before you go into another market, I'd sit back and say, how is my practice running? Is my car tuned? You know, if I'm going to go into a race, you know, I don't want to just go around the track. I want to win going around the track in my home market. And I think that people, they have a model. And they bring that other mo that same model to the next market. But that model is, as we talked about, is changing. Chris, I, I really want the audience to understand there is a huge opportunity in getting better cases, 
and practicing better law, putting more effort into, into settlements. I had a panel at National Tri Lawyers, and the panel was with Michael Berg, Jeff Huff, and Brian Gorelli. And they started talking about money and financing the practice and how do you manage your money and so on. And Michael Berg, you know, from Berg Simpson, you know, has been very successful going into other markets and being a leader in, in, in our legal world on cases and such. And we started to talk about, well, how do you build a case? The majority of lawyers, almost anyone that I can think of, gets on the phone with the insurance company and they said, well, this is what do you, what do you think? That, it lets the insurance company establish what the, what the value of the case is, literally. Now, people that are listening to this podcast are going to deny that, but you can't tell me that Colossal doesn't rule the conversation. Well, this is what we're willing to pay. Or why is it, why is it that so few lawyers establish what the case value is and then negotiate from their number? opposed to negotiating from the insurance company's number. That is a whole conversation on negotiation. That's a whole conversation on building the case. And that's a whole nother podcast. But when you talk about building a case, why would I want to negotiate against myself? And why would I want to negotiate from the number that the insurance company tells me that they want to pay? Because they want to pay as little as possible. I just spoke with Michael Alder from Alder Law, and he was talking about the exact same thing. It's when you start to get these different numbers, no, 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 there's all kinds of red flags. And that's why he's filing, you know, seven out of 10 that he receives as opposed to the opposite, you know, where you're not filing. It's such an interesting dynamic because a lot of times people just lean to, we need more leads, more leads, more leads. But what about maximizing the leads you already have? Maybe you don't need as many if you can get maximum value out of the ones that you have. Well, that's a whole nother conversation because you just uh, started to open up the door about intake and conversion and, you know, maximizing, you know, your intake and conversion and, and, and doing a far better job and stuff that's falling through the cracks. We'll probably leave that conversation for another day. And it's imperative that we, we have that conversation at some point because it's the biggest hole in everybody's bucket. What I do want to bestow upon the audience is an opportunity on how to make more money. Practice better law. Practice culture in your office. Don't practice, do. People want to do business with people they want to do business with. We're in a grab society. I'll tell you, what, what pushed me over the edge with a lot of things was the, this Camp Lejeune project. I noticed it's a money grab. You know, half of the marketing is just crazy money being spent on marketing. I listened to over 100 telephone calls and I did not hear one person say, thank you for your, thank service. You for your service. Or how do you, how do you feel? Hmm. And so what if, if you notice, a lot of that advertising tapered off because they say the cases dried up. The cases didn't dry up. The lawyers dried up. They dried up the valley by just treating people disrespectfully, treating people as a money grab. You're a number. I don't care you know, who you are or what you do. Just tell me your name, ranking, serial number. But that's not, that's, that falls back into the original conversation about you know, the oath of office. It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I went, over, I went overboard on my feelings, you know, about this. Okay, being a veteran, perhaps, but being a human being, you don't treat people that way. And what it really made me think about is how much of a money grab are we really in, Chris? You know, what is really going on? You know, how does a, a consultant that's been practicing law for five years that hasn't really made a lot of money at it tell everybody how successful they are and how they can, you know, show the promised land? And then, you know, a thousand lawyers or not a thousand, but let's say a hundred lawyers show up at a marketing seminar put on by somebody like that. You know, whose fault is that? The lawyers are so desperate to find money and to 
make money that they'll listen to almost anyone and do almost anything. And that's what's going on right now in our profession. It's disgusting. It's up to the lawyers to make a change, to, to really think, put the client first and do the best by them to get maximum value, to, to help them uh, to really go that extra mile. And the crazy thing about that is when you do that, you're helping yourself. Thanks to Harlan for coming on the show again. He has a wealth of information and loves to share. You can find him at harlanschoenger.com. You can find his site as well as a link to his first interview in the show notes. On episode 60, we take a deep dive into doing intake right. All right, let's get to the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, be who you are. In all your marketing messaging, know how you want to be perceived, then deliver on that perception. Pour resources into maximizing the value of your cases. You can move these cases along and get paid, or you can do one hell of a job for every one of your clients. And I guarantee you, you'll make more money and the client will be far more satisfied. Pinpoint number two, build a solid website using best practices that keeps Google happy. Invest in SEO. Don't try to rank for hundreds of keywords. Try to rank for an entire category. If I maximize three words, six words, 12 words, this is what's turning the numbers. This is what people are dialing into. This is what people are searching and putting more effort into quality, not quantity. I think that's the solid strategy. And most importantly, you have to work it. You have to work it constantly, which means you have to be involved with your agency, knowing what they're doing and giving them the tools and pushing them to be that targeted on SEO. People, I mean, I certainly value SEO over PPC because PPC is a tactic, but it's SEO is a solid approach. In pinpoint number three, shift the way you spend. Users can get similar content on both cable and streaming, but how that content gets consumed is completely different. So you can't use the same advertising strategy on cable that you would on OTT. The beautiful part about OTT is that you can really niche down, you can really find your audience. I'm Chris Stryer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. If you've made it this far, it's time to pay the tax. No, I'm not talking about taking your cash like Big G. I'm asking you for a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Leave me a review and I'll forever be grateful. If this is your first episode, welcome and thanks for hanging out. So come back for fresh interviews where you can hear from those making it rain. Catch you next time. I'm out.